Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Predlines podcast. Uh, it's a little different this week. Our uh, our co-expert Corey Francis is at a concert today or this evening, so it's just uh, me and George doing the podcast. But uh, we're we're going to break down a little bit of the past week's action, including the big trade um, and some of the some of the things we noticed from these games. Uh, but first things first, George, how you been doing, man? Uh, I've been doing pretty well. It's uh, starting to get pretty cold up here in Madison, Wisconsin. But uh, but you know you. At least I have hockey to keep me warm at night. Yeah, yeah, that's always nice. It's starting yeah. to feel a little more like hockey season here. It's uh, we're getting down to the forties. I was uh, I was with a friend of mine last night, and she was we were walking around Nashville, and she was saying how freezing cold she was, and I was like, eh, it's not that cold, <laughs> but I guess you know we're we're not, we're not accustomed to it down here. It's just mm. it's a it's a nice warmer environment, but uh, yeah. yeah, definitely getting into the kind of the, the meat of the hockey season. Um, got. <clears throat> Obviously, the the big news to start the week, and, and if you know if you listen to the podcast last week, you'll know that we were recording uh, kind of while the events of this big three way trade were unfolding. Uh, so we haven't quite done like a you know a proper reaction to it. Obviously, done some written articles, but nothing on the podcast side of things. Um, obviously, as you all know, you know this has been very well talked about. Predators acquired Kyle Turris, uh, kind of a second centerman style player from uh, the Ottawa Senators in in the whole uh, kind of Matt Duchesne finally getting moved uh, sequence of events. Um, going away from the Predators were Vlad Kamenev, uh, Sam Girard, and a second round pick for the next for next year. So, George, I know right off the bat you weren't necessarily sold on this trade. I, I think uh, it sounds like you had maybe some hesitation about the term for a player like Kyle Turris. Uh, he's 28 years old, obviously pretty well uh, proven. You know, everybody kind of knows the style of player he is. Um, and then uh, I think before maybe even the trade was completed, he had uh, agreed to sign a six-year uh, contract extension to stay here in Nashville uh, at a, a $6 million, uh, uh, per year deal. So, George, why don't, I don't know if you're, uh, you're still kind of dealing with some of those concerns or maybe you've warmed up a little bit. What are you thinking about this now? Uh, well, originally I had a couple of big concerns. Uh, one of them was uh, his negative possession stats in, in Ottawa, which is not exactly known to be a possession hub, uh, as, as we all know. But the biggest thing that I saw was that he had been displaced by Derek Broussard to be on the first line. And no offense to Derek Broussard, but he's not really a first-line center by any stretch of the imagination. And so to see Kyle Turris, someone that has been heralded as a first line center, get get displaced by him was kind of was kind of uh, concerning to see. And then and, and then just signing a six by six million dollar contract for a player that you know they don't really have like they haven't seen in in the jersey or in the system was a little was a little scary. But I don't think that the term was that outrageous, especially because uh, rumors coming out of Ottawa was that it was going to be an eight year deal. And that was probably going to be somewhere in the six point five to seven million dollar range. So, I do I do think that the deal is not terrible. Uh, what I what I really have an issue with is what they gave up in uh, in uh, Sam Gerard, just because we all know how good he is, and we've all seen how great he is, and you know we're we're seeing in Colorado how dominant he can be, especially in the offensive zone. Uh, he's been mostly playing second pairing minutes, and he's looked pretty good while doing it, even though he's faced a objectively better uh, Ottawa Senators team. Um, I, so I kind of, I mean, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Well, did you watch the uh, the couple of games in Sweden this week? I saw the highlights from the first, and then I watched the second game. 
Okay. I think I caught most of both games. Um, and Gerard definitely is like immediately a factor in that on that uh, uh, avalanche blue line, which I think, I mean, I'm personally, I'm very happy because I think that I know we all at, at Predlines, I think all of us were pretty much in agreement that we were frustrated with the lack of playing time for him. Obviously, now you look back in, in kind of the scope of a trade and perhaps this was in the books, you know, on on the minds of some of these GMs for a while. And maybe that's why he didn't get so much ice time. Um, but all that said, you know, it's it's it is sad to see a really talented young defenseman go, especially to a, a divisional team. Um, but on a, just a personal level uh, for Sam Girard as an individual, I'm very happy for him. Uh, he looks like he's just going to be real comfortable there in Colorado and he's not uh, kind of the style that we were used to. He's not exactly uh, easing into it. He's just jumping right in um, trying to prove himself, which I think is really great. Uh, they did drop both games. They they lost the first game. Colorado lost the first game in overtime and then uh, the second one in regulation. But it was a pretty good contest both times. Um, it is yeah. interesting just to jump on a new brand new roster and then be flown out to to Sweden to play the first couple of games. It, you know, it's obviously a very odd situation, but it seemed like he held his own. Uh, Sam Girard at least held his own. Yeah, the best thing that the Predators did for Kyle Turris was not throw him in the game against Columbus. Just give him some time to get accustomed to Nashville, get accustomed to their system, and get some practice time with teammates and linemates. And that really helped him. And Sam Jar didn't really have that luxury. And, uh, you know, just from looking at, at what I saw from the games, it doesn't look like he it didn't look like he needed that luxury. So good for him. I know that a lot of people were just talking about how David Poyle is a wizard for getting this trade off. And I'm kind of like, I don't know. It seems like he just it seems like a pretty even trade. We you know, you took from uh, from a strength to address a weakness, and I don't think you gave up too much of a strength. But I just heard people like heralding, like, you know, David Paul didn't give up any NHL ready players. I'm like, what do you think Sam Gerrard is? Sam Gerrard's an NHL ready player. He, in the four games that he played in Nashville, I I thought that he showed that he was he was ready for full time NHL minutes. And obviously, that opinion may change around game forty or fifty when when he finally hits the wall. But I don't know. This kid looks like the real deal. It's a little scary that they traded him to a. Uh, <laughs> that they traded him to Colorado. I would have much rather uh, him go to um, him go to Ottawa just so that he could stay in the Eastern Conference. But yeah, they're yeah. they're gonna have to see him at least five times a year for probably the next uh, several seasons. So as he continues to develop, that will definitely be more of a headache. Um, the other player, of course, that that went was uh, Kamenev. He did not make the trip to Sweden. Uh, I'm not exactly sure why. It sounds like there may have been kind of like with tourists, there may have been some sort of immigration issue or visa or whatever. Um, but I think that they intend to put Kamenev in their starting lineup. Um, and he was pretty much on the edge, I thought, uh, playing most of his games, obviously, in the AHL uh, with Milwaukee. I think he was kind of a star up there. Um, sounds like he was really a fan favorite and a, a real big impact player on that team. And I think he was he was really on the fence um, for making the NHL roster. Obviously, you and I know that there are some forwards who do make that lineup that probably should not. Um, but even among those who were, you know, being the, the players that were left down in the AHL I, who really deserved to come up, I didn't necessarily think Kamenev was right up there at the top ready to join an NHL roster. So I was obviously a little less, um, I'm a little less bothered by, by that loss than I am by Gerard. Yeah. Just speaking about uh, forwards that probably shouldn't be in the lineup. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a lot of McLeods in the sky tonight, at least in Madison. I don't know how it is oh in national. God. Thank you. Thank you for that, for humoring me. Um, 
<laughs> it's it's pretty overcast here, so yeah. you could say it's pretty McCloudy down here as well. Yeah. I'm never forgiving you for that. Ever. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> I really liked Kamenev. Um, just from seeing him in the World Juniors a few years ago, uh, just to seeing what he did in uh, in the AHL this year, I didn't get a chance to go see him in person, but I had liked everything that I had seen from him. Um, he started off the year kind of slowly and was kind of put on like that second or third line. But near the end, near the end of his uh, term with Milwaukee, he was definitely playing on the first line, and he started to explode. And I believe he had like uh, almost nine points in nine games, which was second behind uh, Emil Peterson or Peterson or however you say it. Uh, <laughs> I, I knew it last week, and I forgot. it's it's like Emil. I think it's Emil Peterson. Emil Peterson. Final word on that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I I think Peterson will have a should have a, a shot with uh, with the Predators, but. I really liked Kamenev, and he was only 21, and he definitely has a bright future. I think that he's not the NHL-ready player that uh, Sherrard is, and so I think that he's probably going to get the special treatment that uh, Tourist did when, when he came over to the Predators, where the Avalanche are going to give him time to, to ease in and are going to give him time to kind of develop some chemistry with line mates and see where he is because he's not as known of a quantity as, as Gerard is. So I think that the Avalanche are actually making some pretty smart moves. The last week and a half or so of Avalanche like management has totally contradicted everything they've done in the last two to three years. It's pretty astounding. Yeah, I mean, there, it seemed like with you know, obviously we had you and I had pretty much gotten sick of talking about Matt Duchesne. Just sort of we felt that that our our, our you know everything we had to say about that had long been said. So I I was very impressed that the you know uh, Joe Sakic's uh, patience and arguably his stubbornness actually really paid off and they obviously ended up getting seven pieces in return um with the four players and the three draft picks uh which are all the, the uh, it, correct me if i'm wrong the draft picks are all 2018 is that right uh i believe so but ottawa uh, has a lottery protected pick so if they finish in the bottom 10 uh they have the option to protect that pick and then therefore and then after that they'll have to give up their 2019 with okay, absolutely no, sense. yeah. There's then there will be no excuses there. They'll have to give that up. Um, okay, yeah. Which, yeah, I mean, don't, Ottawa's been uh, haven't been so good this year. Yeah, they've been up and down. I think Duchesne definitely makes them a better team um, because he's definitely a number one center, uh, definitely more so than than Derek Brassard. So we'll we'll see what happens there. I think I don't know the Atlantic is so weak at this point. It's so top heavy between the uh, Senators, Lightning, and Maple Leafs. I'm kind of. They, they'll still make the playoffs. I definitely think so. Yeah, yeah, I'd but, be surprised if not. Yeah. But this isn't an Ottawa Senators uh, you, podcast, so no, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> thank goodness. Yeah, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you you mentioned that uh, the tourist was not able to play in that uh, game against Columbus. I think that honestly they would have played him. It sounds like there were kind of like I'd mentioned maybe some visa issues or ah, it's a little strange because I didn't understand why it was any different than him traveling with Ottawa but I guess there's some sort of difference in terms of immigration it's like work visa um, versus residency like visa yeah it's, okay it's so a whole thing. yeah so he was not able to play in that Columbus game I um the Preds, it's, it feels like it was forever ago now. It was back on, I think, Tuesday. Was that when this game was? Uh, yeah, I believe so. In Columbus, they had flown you know, across several time zones from California uh, to play their fourth game of the road trip. Um, in my, they, you know, the worst they could go at this point on the road trip was uh, exactly uh, you know, 500, exactly 50% of the points that they could have earned. So really, 
for me as a fan, like the pressure was pretty low. I thought, you know, even getting a point out of this Columbus game would be really good, a good result. Um, and they they uh, they took it one step further and just won won the whole game. It was not a pretty game. It was mostly Pecorine bailing everybody out. It was kind of that, and and it reminded me a lot actually of the uh, the preseason game I saw against Columbus in Nashville, where it just seemed like Nashville just really they couldn't pass, they couldn't have any. There was just zero chemistry in, in zone exits and zone entries. It was bad, and that was pretty much what we saw on Tuesday. I thought there were several long stretches of time where it was really just kind of waiting for Columbus to strike, um, but then uh, they, they did manage to pull out the victory. Um, I assume, uh, being being the uh, realist you are, I assume you weren't overly <laughs> impressed by that performance. No, I, I wasn't. Uh, the, the sad fact is, is that there was only uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players that finished with uh, decent possession stats. Uh, one of them was Cody McLeod, who only played about seven minutes that night, which is such a just small number. At, and that's a, that's on five on five, yeah. but also in, in total, because he doesn't play uh, special teams. Um, one of the good things I did see about this game, just to kind of you know start on a high note, is that this was the first game where I started to see Frederick Goudreau and Austin Watson start to leave uh, Cody McLeod behind, where they would get starts with other players, or they would go out in different five on five situations and leave McLeod behind, and they'd start with... Kyle Yarncroc or um, or Colton Sissons, and it was very it was very curious to see that. And when they did when they did play with Sissons or Yarncroc, uh, they they started to put up really good possession numbers. Uh, they ended up Goudreau and uh, Goudreau ended up with a sixty six Corsi and a sixty two Fenwick, and then uh, we we saw uh, Watson finish with a fifty uh, with a fifty Corsi but a forty Fenwick. Um, but but we saw with those uh, we saw when they played with Yarncroc that they actually had uh, above sixty uh, Corsis. And so when they were actually playing in bigger minutes, they started to play much better. And that, that was that's a theory I've had with Frederick Goudreau for a while now, where he's an offensive spark plug and he really seems to get things going. But the linemates he's playing with are more defensively oriented. And uh, that, that I mean that no offense to Austin Watson, who's a good player in his own right. And I mean that with total offense to uh, Cody McLeod. But <laughs> yeah, I'm, I don't know. I, I it does stink that Goudreau had to be sent down because I do think he could be a good player uh, on the third line. Although I, I, and now that Torres is here, I'm not sure who he replaces. Yeah, of course, you know, we'll, we'll get to this, but with some of the injuries from the game yesterday, uh, or uh, it, I guess, I don't know when this will go out, the the game on Saturday night, uh, yeah. <clears throat> um, you might, might see a return of Freddie Goudreau a little sooner than perhaps we thought. Um, Players I was impressed with in Columbus, uh, Victor Arvidsson had uh, two points. He had the empty net goal and then uh, an assist. Uh, Mika Salamaki, he put up two assists. And then uh, Matt Irwin, uh, who, like we kind of talked about last week, he's been – he and he and Weber have kind of been silently improving. Although but Irwin put up uh, six yeah. shots on goal and had a, and had a goal himself, uh, the, I believe the, the opening goal of that game in Columbus. So – Matt Irwin did impress me that night, at least offensively, and, and then they were uh, a little a little loose defensively. Uh, the whole team kind of top to bottom. Luckily, Rene was Rene had uh, eaten his Wheaties, it seems, uh, in Columbus <laughs> that morning. So yeah, he bailed the team out. But yeah, those you know there was there were still some players uh, like you said, maybe kind of the team as a whole didn't play so well in terms of possessing the puck and generating chances uh, in comparison to how many chances they allowed. Um, but there were some players I thought who just had kind of a 
a decent game at least uh, with yeah. the multi-point games. Yeah, I wasn't very impressed with the Joe Fula in that game, and uh, I wasn't really impressed with them last or on Saturday night as well. But yeah, Forsberg and Johansson did not really put up that much uh, as far as possession scores go, and yeah, they were yeah they were on the ice for uh, two two and three high danger chances against while not producing any. So I don't know this. Yeah, they're <clears throat> that line's been a little cold recently, which. I mean, Forsberg started on such a hot streak that it kind of had everyone else being like, you know, when's it? When's the other shoe going to drop? At least in my opinion, that that's that's what my thought was. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't expect that kind of production to sustain itself. So yeah, he, can't, um, he can't shoot at thirty percent forever. No, no, no. Even James Neal can't manage that. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So the, one thing I did notice right after that game ended, and it was not actually. I'm ashamed to say I didn't notice it while I was watching, but when I kind of looked back at his stat sheet, I noticed that Johansson. I think his last shift ended like eight and a half minutes left in the in the third period. So he basically didn't play the last half of the third period. And I'm a little – I was hesitant at the time to kind of speculate, but after he saw limited ice – relatively limited ice time uh, last night uh, in that Penguins game, I'm a little more comfortable saying that I'm wondering if he's nursing a, a very minor injury um, or even maybe still recovering from that uh, compartment syndrome that he suffered from in the playoffs. Because this – people have definitely noticed that his production has been low – um, and he's still very, I think, uh, for lack of a better description, I think he's still a very intimidating player to have on the ice. It, when I see him possess the puck, especially in the offensive zone, my, my first kind of thought is, well, something good is going to happen here. Um, and I think he still is, is managing to play decently well. He's, he's getting up on the assist board pretty decently. But I wonder if there's a little more going on beneath the surface here. Yeah, I mean, that... Though that leg injury was a pretty big deal, uh, I I think that you're probably right. There is something. He's also just been really, especially over the last two to three games or so. Uh, ever since that San Jose game, actually, he's been really kind of off of his game mentally, and it, it does seem like every team in the NHL owns a little bit of headspace there. And I, I mean, you saw him. He was talking the last smack last night in Pittsburgh, and he took that he took that one penalty where it probably. He was lucky that the other player retaliated, or else it would have been a really stupid two-minute penalty. Yeah, I forget. Yeah. And I that's in, yeah. You're right, though. He like the San Jose game was the worst I've seen him play in a very long time. It's probably the worst game I've seen personally from him as a as an actual predator. You're right. He just he seemed very interested, and in, he was get he was getting roped into arguments and chippiness on the ice and getting very distracted from his his game and it, it seemed yeah you're right it, he hasn't quite been the same since um ho- i i hope it's just mental because i think it'll be you know it just takes a, a hot game or two and he'll be kind of back um i imagine it's a bit of a combination between mental and maybe something physical um and if that is obviously it's not too serious because he's still getting the start every night um although his ice time has been lower than we're used to seeing um I think he only had six minutes of even strength ice time in that Columbus game, which was very surprising. Yeah. Um, he played, I think, double that when you included penalty kill and power play. Um, that's been, yeah, that's anyways, been interesting. Did him on the PK, him on the PK. I don't necessarily love like I don't necessarily love that at all. Yeah. I, mean, I really like Ryan Johansson, and uh, I see a lot of from him what I saw from Dallas actually when they were in um, when they were in Nashville, where they would send Sagan and Ben out there to win the draw and then 
uh, as soon as they won the draw and cleared the puck, uh, both of them ran off the ice. Yeah. And I, I'm, you know, we're starting, I kind of saw that a little bit from Johansson where, uh, especially in the first and second period when he was, when he was killing penalties, he was just win the draw, get right off the ice and, and set right back down. And I'm, well, I think that's good. I think that the Predators should trust who they have. Um, Colton Sissons has proven to be a decent, um, center. Uh, Kyle Yarncroft is an excellent penalty killer and is still at like 54% on, on the year for faceoffs. Um, even Freddie Goudreau and Mika Salamaki could potentially step in and and win a faceoff or two, and are very good penalty killers in their own right. So I don't. I think that those are an extra minute or a minute and a half per night that uh, that uh, you know uh, he, he doesn't have to play. That uh, Johansson probably shouldn't be playing. Just yeah. you know, just rest him because again, these like the kids are young. I get it, and like they're in their prime and then their prime of their lives and athlete, like, athletically. But why not just give them? that extra minute a game of rest so that they can be ready during the playoffs or they can play, you know, 20, 25 minutes a night in the playoffs, especially like my biggest gripe is with Matias Ekholm on the power play. I really love Matias Ekholm. He's a great, he can quarterback a power play fairly well. I don't think his skill is why he should be taken off, but the guy already plays 26 minutes a night on average. Yeah. You got, you got to give him a break. Yeah. Especially when you're getting three or four power play chances a game, that's like two and a half extra minutes. It's not going to bite you in yep. the ass now, or bite you in the butt now, rather. But it's going to, um, <laughs> yeah, it's going to bite you when you need Matias Ekholm to match Sidney Crosby in the playoffs for twenty five minutes a night. That's when you're really going to yeah. see it. Yeah, and, and speaking of Sidney Crosby, I guess we should probably transition to this Penguins game. It was uh, I, I was more impressed with the Predators' performance. It, it still wasn't great, um, but it was a little more. At least it, they were showing more signs of life offensively. Um, they had some some nice, you know, uh, passing sequences setting up well. They they had some great uh, creation of, of danger, high danger chances. I know uh, Turris's goal was just a nice, uh, great pass from Salamaki right into the slot, um, and he's he wasn't going to miss from there. And uh, uh, who else? Um, now I'm blanking on on as the Yarncroke goal was also a, a, a great pass. He he put on a little move, but he was. Uh, he had a lot of space in that slot. So I thought that they were doing a, a much better job at creating those chances. Um, it's hard to, you know, it, it was a, it was an interesting game. The Obviously the Penguins' uh, backup goaltender was in, um, and he, he looked had a very shaky five or six minutes to start the second period, and that was when the Predators scored three of their goals um, really in quick succession. And then they gave up the two-goal lead. Um not terribly long after so it was was a very back and forth game and I wouldn't say a very complete effort necessarily from either side but um obviously getting the win against Pittsburgh was a huge deal uh really no matter how it happened yeah I uh Tristan Tristan Yari or Tristan Jari uh the starter for Pittsburgh last night definitely better than um (laughs) definitely better than uh Antti Niemi and I saw a lot of people like this game this game should be easy the Penguins are 0-4 and have given up 20 goals on on the on the end of or on the uh, latter half of a back to back, I was kind of like, yeah, but it's against Anti Nemi, the Predators, or the I don't know the nineteen ninety six uh, Detroit Red Wings, or the the nineteen forties Montreal Canadiens couldn't you know would go zero in like eighty if they had Anti Nemi <laughs> in that like this. Yes. I don't think people understand how bad Nemi is like at this moment. And while Tristan Yari is very unproven. He's put up Matt Murray-esque numbers and the AHL. This year, not so much because he's been back and forth, but uh, last year especially, he rode like a 925 save percentage throughout an entire season. 
so I don't know. I also heard I jo- I don't know if it's a joke or not, but I heard someone on TV or on Twitter mentioned that he was the goalie of the future. And I'm like, he's the same age as Matt Murray and they're both 21 or 22. So I don't necessarily know who's the future here, but um, yeah, one of the things I saw from the Predators is the team almost gives up. It's very weird. Uh, I've, I've seen the Predators give up in San Jose when they just, and in actually the first game at Pittsburgh where they just kind of said like, we're down three, nothing. We're just going to hit people from now on. We just want to hurt them. And that's fun, but, you know, games aren't won in the hit column. They're won on the scoreboard. And when the Predators went up 3-1, to one, they kind of said, this should be enough. And they started to coast. And they started to kind of just let Pittsburgh back into the game. And that's really what they did. I I thought they didn't do a good job at all covering Crosby. Uh, the Johansson line was a, a non-factor, in my opinion. The entire Jofa line was invisible for most of the night. Um, the new third line really stepped up, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure why exactly, but as soon as like Hartnell went down in that uh, in the first period, it was about ten minutes ten minutes ago in the first period. Hartnell hit a really weird patch of ice, and it looks like he tweaked his knee, but he he immediately fell to the ground and wasn't putting pressure on one of his legs, which leads me to believe that it was a knee or a leg injury of some kind. So I don't know how long he's going to be out, but those injuries can be pretty. Can can be pretty taxing, especially on an older on an older body that's played a lot of physical hockey in its life. Um, but the new third line then kind of consisted of uh, Kyle Yarncroft and Mika Samaki, and then the other that other wing spot kind of uh, shifted between either Austin Watson or Colton Sissons. And I really loved uh, Austin Watson, and we started to see more of Watson in the uh, the latter half, of the second and third period, especially when. Um, especially when Jürgen Kroke in, in that line was going up against some of their tougher uh, assignments. I know uh, Jürgen Kroke in his line spent over four minutes against Crosby's line, and three minutes of that was in the third period. And they spent another uh, three minutes against the Malkin line, which was mostly in the latter half of that second and the early part of that third period. Uh, so I, that line was eating some really tough minutes. And not only did they, uh, not only did they do a good job of keeping them off the scoreboard, but they, they put one up there themselves as well as uh, they only allowed one high danger chance against both Crosby and Malkin and they put up two of their own. So if you can get that from your third line, Oh, you, your depth scoring is set. I mean, that, that's exactly what you yeah, want to see. It was a great kind of exhibition of some of the depth that hopefully predators fans can sort of expect. Now I think they've, I was hoping to see Benino back. Uh, still, really, no one quite knows what's going on there with with his injury. He was, it's kind of like day to day at this point that we'll see his return. But I was I was hoping to see him back just so we'd see what kind of the real the new lineup with some actual line depth. Um, so it was anyway. Even with Benino out, it was really good to see. Um, yeah, like the depth scoring and the depth production of these sorts of chances, because I mean, as you and I well know, like that is what's going to ha- make or break a successful season is is the depth of a team. And I think that now, finally, with some of these player acquisitions and some of the kind of emergences of of players like Cali Yarncroke and you know even Craig Smith's been playing well and Kevin Fiala has been playing well, you know that's that's going to be what really will break other break opponents down is when you can just keep up the pressure throughout the game rather than relying solely on that first line. Obviously the, the Jofa line has become kind of a staple in Nashville. Um, and, and now that it's, 
it's cooling off. It's good to see that the whole team isn't kind of living and dying by it, although it would be very nice to see them pick back up um, because then, you know, it's it's really going to be a force to be reckoned with when they have a very successful first line backed up by two or three more uh, pretty dangerous lines of, of forwards. So, well, well, you said it there. It's You want to see more kind of dangerous lines, and with the addition of Kyle Turris, I think now what you have is you don't really have a second line. You have... Your Joe line, which is your first line, and then you have the Kyle Turris and Kevin Fiala line, which is going to be an, another almost first line. It's more of it's, a one. It's, it's like a one A one B. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although the the Joe line is definitely like the one, and then you have a one B situation, right? Yeah. Um, I thought Kevin Fiala was the absolute best player in the ice last night. The, the guy is just so unlucky. I mean, I credit to Kyle Turris for setting up the goals and scoring. But Kevin Fial was everywhere. He was back-checking. He was forechecking. He was throwing hits. He was making moves. He was making dangles. I absolutely loved him last night. And I thought he was the best player on the ice. And that's not to take away from Craig Smith, who also had a great game, and from the third line, who I just spent five minutes raving about. Uh, they're, you know, they were absolutely fantastic. Um, but Kevin Fial, for me, I thought he could have easily had two or three goals last night as well as a few assists. But it just they didn't, the card doesn't fall his way. But I think they're going to start falling sooner rather than later. Um, and then to kind of go back to another point of the 1A, 1B, now you don't really have a third and fourth line with Benito coming back. Because initially I thought that the Predators might do something where they go uh, Nick Benito and Kyle Yernkrok on the third line together, where you have where Benito's a lefty and you have Yernkrok who's a righty, and you kind of switch them off at center, you know, depending on where you need to win the puck to and what side the puck's on, so you could have each player going to their strong side. Um, where now I'm thinking maybe keep Samak and Yernkrok together, but then also put Watts on that line. Have them be a, you know, a defensive shutdown line. Have that be your third line. And then from there, move Benio to the fourth. Well, to your, I'm quoting, fourth. And put move Sissons to the wing because he's shown a lot of offensive prowess when he's on the wing and he doesn't necessarily need to worry so much about being back on defense. And then put Goudreau or literally anyone else besides... Uh, besides <laughs> McLeod. I mean, I'd say, I'd say Hartnell, but Hartnell is injured at the moment, so I'm... I'm just talking about for right now. And then what you have is you, you have a 1A and 1B situation for uh, for your first two lines. Then you also have a 3A and a 3B where I think you could play them at more equal minutes where you don't have to sit that fourth line for the entire third period because you're worried about them being a liability. Where you can kind of trust each line to go out and play their game and not have to worry so much about sheltering one line or hell, even just Sheltering the sheltering the Joe line like like you used to to get put them in the best uh, the best position possible so that and then you know kind of you might have to throw the third and other third line under the bus but you know that Yonkroak and uh, Benino can do it right like, it it seems yeah, like that it, might it, make it, sense I think I mean the moral of the story here is that the Predators have like an unprecedented amount of flexibility now that that really is is going to make this team ultimately much better the fact that. It, you know now you're having to make tough decisions in terms of the roster and and who's playing where and which line you know it's better to have to make those tough decisions than just have you know everyone you everyone you can get on the ice who's going to be effective on the ice well the predators are now in a situation where they actually have kind of a, a surplus of talent and it's really going to come down to figuring out the best combinations of these guys rather than just figuring out how to get a competitive product on the ice it's how to make this team really the next level so it is really good to have that flexibility it's unfortunately uh like you mentioned you know it, it's it's kind of resulting in really good players in my opinion re- very good players like freddie goudreau pontus aberg 
getting sent down, which was uh, kind of the news this week. And that was another another reason I think we were all sort of expecting Benino to be back um, maybe uh, Saturday mm-hmm. night, but still any day now. Um, I think... Goudreau is... Go ahead. Yeah, I think that losing Scott Hartnell probably means that uh, Aberg is going to come back. They're both the same-handed. Uh, they're both, you know, kind of third-line guys at this point in their careers. I think that that might be a decent uh, setup, especially put them on the fourth line and uh, where Cody McLeod is. I think that could be a really... Uh, that could be a really good piece. You move Colton Sissons to the to where Austin Watson used to be. You move Aber to where Cody McLeod is, and uh, and once Benito comes back, obviously you put Benito on that fourth line spot, and that's not a bad looking fourth line. That's more of a third line, I think, on any other team or on most other teams in the NHL, besides maybe the Maple Leafs and the Lightning. I this this team has a couple decisions to make as far as who's going to get sent down and who's going to come up, and you know, Goudreau's twenty four. There's not really a lot of developing left for him. This is kind of like his time to play, or maybe it's it's the end of him in the organization. It might be better to possibly pursue a trade, although you'd need a it'd probably be in a package deal, including that first round pick. But that's probably for another podcast, another another time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's a little interesting. Like you mentioned, we might see Aberg back uh, definitely before um, uh, maybe we expected, just because of some injury concerns, but. At the moment, he's on a conditioning stint, so he has a, a maximum of 14 days that he can uh, be in the Milwaukee roster. Um, and he's uh, obviously he's not <clears throat> going to be exposed to waivers uh, in that time, so that's fine. You know, it's it's not like we're going to lose either of these players, um, at least in the in the near future. I think that they're both uh, Goudreau and Aberg are going to be great pieces to have when kind of the inevitable longer injuries uh, start to pick up um, further, you know, 40, 50 games into the season. It's going to be really good to have these um, kind of on the brink of NHL caliber players, um, if not just full NHL caliber players ready in the wings. Um, and and we'll, we'll definitely see, well, it sounds like at least we'll see the the benefit of that right away with Aber coming in to fill, fill that uh, hole left by Hartnell. Hopefully he's, hopefully Hartnell's not out for too long. Um, but it's definitely, again, it's, it's all about flexibility and depth and having the, op- having the option to play these guys when, when, uh, there are injuries instead of just sort of having to settle, um, is ultimately going to make this team very competitive or should at least, uh, if they can, you know, play the way that they are able to. Yeah. Yeah. I, and then you, you talk about other prospects coming up, uh, Emil, Emil Peterson or, uh, Emil Peter Peterson. How are Emil, you? Emil Peterson. Emil Peterson. Uh, Emil, like I, Canadian. A. a Emil Peterson. Uh, I think that he <laughs> has. I think he could really play in the NHL at this moment in time. He's better than a point per game uh, pace in, in the AHL. The last time I looked, which was two days ago, so take that with a grain of salt. But um, I don't know. Yeah, I think especially with the trade for tourists, the Predators are win now mode, and you know. You, you have the offensive pieces that are going to be there for, for years to come. Your top three centers are signed for the next five years at least, uh, with Jaron Croak being up in five years. But, you know, like, now's the time. Trade Peterson. Trade whoever else you want to trade to get that extra pick uh, or to get the extra player that you think will put you over the edge. I think another right-handed shot defenseman might be a good, might be a good pickup uh, for that third line. Probably wouldn't cost too much. Uh, although you know who I do like in in the AHL is Alexander Carrier, who's a right-handed shot and who's 21 and 
has been playing very well in the AHL. He hasn't put up his usual numbers, but it's because he's playing tougher minutes against uh, top six opposition, where in the past he's been playing against middle six opposition, and that's why he's put up such good numbers. So I think that that could be, I think that could be a good fit on the third line instead of Yannick Weber, who also kind of suffered an injury last night, although he was he came back to the ice. But as we saw, he didn't play. and I don't think he had one shift in the, in the entire third period. Yeah, and, and I think this, as as kind of frustrating as this is, I think Carrier's uh, kind of fate was sealed by his pretty bad preseason because he did play several games up with the Preds um, uh, in kind of late September, and it, he just didn't look great. It was honestly surprising. I was expecting a lot more out of him because I think, like you said, I think that he has the potential to leapfrog over one of these third-pair guys especially Yannick Weber. Um, but it seemed like the, the coaches just really weren't that impressed with him and maybe thought that he would uh, benefit from some continued development. And I'm sure he will. Um, He's only 21. I know that, yeah, yeah but, uh, you know, we've we've been a little frustrated by the inclusion of Yannick Weber, who I think has been pretty ineffective uh, thus far. And it just seems it seems a little odd when, I, in my opinion, you have better options waiting. Um, but like I said, he didn't he didn't impress enough. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd expect to see something happen with Carrier in the next year or so. I'd say either he's traded or is given a more regular spot um, up in the big leagues. And I hope that's the case because it's always good to see, I think, just get these guys uh, as much high competition ice time as you can see from these guys, the better their development is going to be. So, yeah. Um, another uh, kind of younger prospect type player we want to talk about is uh, Ellie Tolvanen, who's continuing to kind of make headlines. Uh, this past week, he's been playing uh, for Finland in the Karelia Cup um, or Karelia Tournament, uh, if you will. And he's has, he's had two goals in the tournament, including a, a game winner, uh, I think last night or maybe the night before uh, against Canada. So he's continuing to really make waves. Um I know that this is getting perhaps a little ahead of ourselves, but that's, you know, that's what prospects are all about. Um, <laughs> if you think about a line with like Tolvanen, Turris and Fiala, I mean, that's that, then you're really talking about just two first lines in my opinion. Yeah. And I do know that he signed a one and one deal in, um, in, uh, in the KHL, which means that he could, uh, he could cancel it at the end of this, at the end of the season. So he could, by could by every stretch of the imagination, he could be an NHL or a national predator uh, by September of next year. Um, yeah, I the only thing that I have about him on the first line or that or that second line is that he is a left-handed shot, which then puts I think because I believe also Kevin Fiala is a left-handed shot, so that puts two left-handed guys on your yeah. I think you're right. Team. Yeah. Um, although because of his wonderful and I really do mean a wonderful shot. Uh, playing him on his off wing might be a good idea as it puts him in a more in a better position for a one timer. Um, we'll see. You know, there's also there is such a thing as also spreading the wealth too, and maybe putting him on the third line to start. You know, to start in the NHL isn't such a bad idea because you know the pace of the game is different. We saw an NHL All Star, or rather a KHL All Star, Vadim Shibashov come over and be completely useless in the NHL because he wouldn't adjust his game at all. So there, there does need to be some kind of 
you know, there does need to be some connect and there does need to be some kind of work ethic. And I'm sure that uh, Tolvin will have that. Um, the big question mark is the, the rink size, obviously, because he, he's not a big guy. And, and really his the value, I think, in a player like Eli Tolvanen is his shot placement, his ability to really re- have an, just an, a wicked release when he gets to like a foot of space. But obviously when you come over to the NHL size rink, you're going to have a, a lot fewer opportunities for that kind of shot. Um, I am glad that he's playing in the KHL. I think that that's going to really kind of, he's going to grow up a lot just with the physicality of that league. Um, I think it's the best place for him to be at this moment, but yeah, I'm, I'm ready to see him at least try to compete at the NHL level. Um, and hopefully he wouldn't be opposed if it's not working out right away. Like you mentioned, Vadim Shipashev, who it sounds like really was not thrilled with getting sent down to the AHL. In fact, I think he just completely didn't show up to his, his practices. So you'd have to, a player like Eli Tolvanen, hopefully would have kind of a more rational look on it and, and think, you know, this is really good for me if, if they do need to send me down to Milwaukee for a while and just work on my development on a smaller rink. Because um, that, I think, really is going to be the big question mark is how he adjusts his game to a, a more confined, more physical kind of style. Yeah, um, as my, I don't have a ton of gripes about Tolvin, and um, one of my things is he has 14 goals in 27 games, great totals. Uh, seven of them have come on the power play, and I think he has like 13 or 14 points in the power play out of 25, which again, that's not a bad thing. It, it means that he can score when needed, but I, I'd like to see a little bit more even strength scoring, which is it's just kind of funny because that's an area where the Predators have really struggled with. Over the last couple, uh, over the last, yeah. you know, the season, yeah. um, he's also a little lackadaisical on the back check. Uh, he tends to not really attack uh, attack defenders uh, on the forecheck as well as on in the defensive zone, where he could do a little bit better of a job. Um, I think a big deal for him is uh, taking away space for the defenders while. Uh, at least in the defensive zone. And I know Peter Laviolette likes to, unless, you know, the guy's going to put up 50 goals, Peter Laviolette likes to have his players be at least capable in the defensive zone, um, which that might actually be good. Put him on a line with uh, Cal Yarncroke and, and Austin Watson to start the season just to put him with some very defense, you know, defensively responsible people. And don't judge him by his point totals, but judge him by the, the opportunities he's creating and the way he's playing. And from there, you know, move him on up to where he can really succeed. Yeah, I don't know. I'm also the KHL is so is such a top heavy league. Uh, there's really three or four teams that are good: uh, CSK Moscow, um, uh, SKA uh, Saint Petersburg, Jokerit, and I think there's one other one that I can't remember. But like CSK Moscow has uh, Ilya Kovalchuk, Pavel Datsuk, and they just got back uh, Vadim Shipachov, who's who's like a 90 point scorer in the KHL. Like it's, I I'm the games that I'm judging Tolvin and by are the games against those teams where they're against much better competition. Um, but so far he he's definitely impressed. I think I he'll come over and make an impact. I just don't necessarily know if he'll be ready for an NHL game at you know at the beginning of next season. Maybe he needs some time in the AHL to to get adjusted to North American ice again. I know he played in uh, in Sioux City for the in the USHL, but. It might actually it, it might benefit him after playing playing a year in, in international ice. 
Right. It, it, no matter what, it's going to be a really interesting kind of talking point. Um, come, like you said, kind of August, September of, of next year, when when the, the chance of him actually joining this roster is actually a very real thing. Um, then we'll obviously get to see him kind of try, attempt to produce at this level. And I think we can all say we hope that he can. There was a woman sitting behind me at the Penguins game uh, last night who was wearing a like legit uh, Joe Currit jersey with Tolvin in on the back. I'm like, she's all in, man. That's awesome. Those, um, those jerseys, yeah. the the European jerseys are pretty cool. Like, I, I know they're I, they're a little more kind of off the wall and fun. Yeah, a lot a lot of big colors. I know that uh, Joker has a pretty cool like sky blue or baby blue color jersey that I I'm quite yeah. the fan. Of. Reminds me of the old Atlanta uh, Thrashers sweaters. Yeah, yeah, love those. Yeah, we'll see. I I mean, I'm obviously excited. I haven't. I've just, you know, because he's obviously in the KHL, so I really only see highlights from his play. I don't actually watch him play, you know, full games. So I'm not seeing, like you're saying, you know, maybe the back check is kind of a concern. Um, but obviously when you watch his highlights, it's hard not to get excited about a player with that kind of release. It's it's very Philip Forsberg style of wrist shot, and that's never a bad thing uh, for a, a young player. So, yeah, definitely keep. We'll, we will keep our eye on him over there. I think we all will and, and kind of anxiously await uh, his his debut over here uh, back in the states. Um, just to kind of transition now to the upcoming week. In my opinion, this is a week that really the Preds need to get four or six points out of, uh, four, five, or six, I should say. Um, the the competition is not necessarily bad competition, but teams that have struggled a little bit. Um, it kicks off a Tuesday night home game against the Washington Capitals, who are currently. Somewhat surprisingly, um, as someone who's a little less plugged in with the Eastern Conference, um, they're sitting at uh, sixth place in the Metro right now um, between the Rangers and the Flyers. The Metro is, at this point, very competitive. Um, I think if you look at, like, um, kind of, you know, people who make those projected standings uh, or projected point totals graphs, the Metro just as a whole is, like, kind of, a whole notch higher than the other three, uh, the other three divisions. So it is a very difficult division and they're sitting at 19 points in seven games. Uh, you can compare that to the predators with 20 points in 16 games. Um, so it's not a bad team by any stretch, just, just not quite as competitive as some of their Metro uh, opponents. Um, Ovechkin has been just an, a monster I forget his point totals this year, but he has something like eight goals in six games, I think, to kick off the year, and he hasn't slowed down a whole lot, so he's definitely going to be a handful. Um, but the Predators tend to, I think, play pretty well against the Capitals, at least in recent memory, so I, this should be a good game, and I think the one that the Predators should win. Yeah, um, as far as Washington goes, uh, the thing I keep coming back to is their beat-up defense. Um, Briggs Orpik and... Uh, John Carlson are like their top pair at the moment and they're just getting picked apart because Orpik can't really skate the NHL level anymore. Um, uh, and John Carlson's a good defenseman, but he's not, he's not a first pairing guy, at least not in my opinion. Um, yeah, their offense is still good. Uh, Nick Backstrom has been really quiet recently. He's kind of, he's due for a resurgence. Uh, I, I don't know that that'll come sooner rather than later. Um, Evgeny Kuznetsov has been really good, but like like his normal career has been kind of streaky between games. Some games he looks absolutely dominant. Some games he looks like a normal second-line guy. Um, I don't know. I really like... I think that this game is definitely a very winnable game for the Predators, and it's a game that they should win. 
uh, it, it depends who they who they face in, in net. You know, is it Brayden Holtby where he's been like a nine twenty save percentage, or is it going to be uh, Philip Grubauer who's at a like an eight ninety five save percentage? Uh, that's going to be. I think that'll be a big deal. Otherwise, I really like. I I think that the Predators are. I I definitely think the Predators are pretty likely to win this game. Yeah, that would be. I think right now the Predators are three games in a row against backup goaltenders. Yeah. So that's been pretty fortunate. Yeah. Uh, with uh, L.A. and Columbus and Pittsburgh all playing their backups. Um, although the, the Preds do sometimes have a tendency uh, to make backup goaltenders look like all-stars. Um, hopefully they're able to find the net. Um, the Capitals are playing tonight, uh, as we're recording this on Sunday night. They're playing in a little while against the Oilers, who have really struggled. So that will be interesting to see um, how, how they look against a, a pretty bad Oilers team. And probably give us a little bit of a... Uh, indication of how they're going to look on Tuesday. And then obviously Predators get the advantage of the one extra day off um, and then the home ice where the Predators tend to be very good. So, yeah, like like we're both saying, I think that this is a very winnable game as long as the Predators stick to kind of their style of play. Um, hopefully Johansson uh, comes a little more focused and ready to produce on the score sheet because um, I think the whole team would obviously benefit from that. Um, see the next game for the Predators. They take a trip up to Minnesota uh, to face the Wild on Thursday night. The Wild are currently sitting in the basement of the Central Division uh, with uh, pretty bad 16 points in 16 games. Um, I think I don't really know. What it's, I would say goaltending, but I think recently their goaltending has actually been excellent. I think they've had a couple shutouts. Uh, so. I don't know. You, you tell me. Do you know? Do you know a whole lot about what's going on with with the Wild? Um, not as much, but I do know uh, Devin Dubnik started off the season pretty sloppily, but uh, he's been on the rise recently, and they've been doing a good job of uh, choking out their their opposition. Um, uh, they're really kind of top heavy, and I wouldn't necessarily calling them top heavy is a little bit of an insult to like heavy teams uh, in, in a sense. <laughs> I really like I really like Miko Koivu as a player. He's a good two way guy, and I really like Eric Stahl as a uh, as a two way guy as well. But uh, those guys aren't really you know world beaters anymore, and they can't really put up numbers like they used to. As they're both on the wrong side of thirty. Uh, Koivu, I believe, is like thirty three, and so is Eric Stahl, if I remember correctly. Um, I just yeah, Nino Niederreiter and Charlie Coyle uh, were expected to be much better than they are. And I know um, Niederreiter has been down with injury recently, but you really need him to get going. He's a big part of that team. And he just signed a pretty fat contract, if I remember correctly, like worth $5 million. So they want him to be better than he is. Um, but otherwise, yeah, uh, Mikko Granlund has been quiet recently, but I don't remember if he's been injured or not. Um, their defense is still pretty good. Uh, Ryan Suter is still playing 30 minutes a night, apparently. And, uh, Jesus. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> Jonas Brodin is still, I think, a good uh, defensively oriented defenseman. And uh, Matt Dumba, who has been sloppy to, to say the least so far, I think is still a very good defenseman in his own right. And I think that he will correct his behavior, uh, especially sooner rather than later. Um, I don't know. I, I This game, I think, is very winnable. But, you know, with Dubnik, the way he's been playing over the last couple of games, he could, you know, he could stand on his head. He could be a brick wall and... That that could spell doom for the uh, for the Predators. So, I I wouldn't be surprised if the Predators only get one point out of this game. Yeah, it's you know it's a tough road game anyway. The the Wild played Saturday night. They beat the Flyers one nothing. 
They play the Flyers again on Tuesday night in Minnesota. Um, the Flyers tend to be a pretty physical teams, so may, hopefully the, the, them having to face them twice in quick succession will have the the Wild a little, you know, not not beat up, but you know, a little more fatigued than perhaps uh, another kind of game would. Uh, and then they have obviously the Predators visiting on Thursday night. Yeah, it's. I don't really believe. I mean, the, it's still early enough in the season that I'm not totally sold on on the position of a lot of these teams. So I'm not. I wouldn't get too comfortable with the fact that Minnesota is sitting in seventh uh, right now in the Central. Um, there, I think all these teams are still very competitive. But in my opinion, the Predators have every right to win this game if they just play well. Um, and hopefully, by that point, we'll have you know Benino back in and. and Sounds like maybe Aberg in for Hartnell, and, and we'll get to see uh, kind of the more complete, still kind of working towards the, f- the final product of what this uh, forward group can be. Um, yeah, but hopefully one or two points out of the road game. Um, and then to uh, kind of wrap up this upcoming week, uh, they've got Colorado visiting Nashville again, the second time this season, Saturday night. Uh, the last visit from Colorado, the Predators made it closer, and it was, I think it was 4-1, um, still closer than I think it should have been. The Predators had plenty of chances just to totally run away with the game, um, but I, I would expect a similar uh, style of game. Obviously, the Avalanche will have, I assume, Sammy Girard in their lineup and perhaps uh, Vlad Kamenev, so that will be very interesting to see those guys uh, try to put the herd in on their on their former team, um, and hopefully... Sam Girard especially doesn't uh, doesn't make it hurt too much. Yeah, I fully expect Girard and Kamenev to both ha- uh, score hat tricks. Just, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> just because, uh, you know, why not? Uh, right. I, I don't know. I This game is one that the pair should come away with uh, two points easily, in my opinion. The Colorado Avalanche aren't good. Um, I like I like Landis Lagog. I like Tyson Berry. I like Eric Johnson. I like Sam Girard, and that, that's about it. Like, uh, I don't know. I... Oh, I really like Neil Yakupov, but that's more of a person rather than like as a player sort of deal. <laughs> I really want him to do well, but I don't think he has it in him. Um, yeah, Colorado, this, you know, I guess you'd call it a trap game, but this is a game that the Predators should win fairly easily. Yeah, and like, like I said, hopefully getting, in my opinion, and I'm obviously biased, I think this should be a five-point week at least, uh, if not the full six. Uh, and that would really, like... Uh, the, you know the road trip is doing well on that road trip was such a big deal i think they play that someone mentioned the predators played 10 out of 15 of their first games this season on the road so this kind of november latter half of november in general will be very home heavy which is great because the predators i think pretty much held their own uh with a with a tough road schedule so if they can uh kind of put the hammer down on these home games it'll they'll be really well set up pretty early on in the season Uh, Currently sitting third uh, in the central behind uh, Winnipeg and uh, St. Louis, who has been very good. So in that game, the the Blues, we've got the Blues kind of towards the end of the month. Yeah. And actually the Jets a week from tomorrow. So Yeah. That'll be a game. Who knew all it took for the Jets to become good was a decent goaltending? Surprising. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Well, you can't. uh, Great goaltending can't necessarily win you the game, but bad goaltending can absolutely lose you the game. So That's a good point. um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, aside from that, um, I think it's all been looking up uh, recently. They've been uh, the kind of the early season cobwebs have have sort of been slowly being worked off. Uh, looking, 
in my opinion, a, a better performance against Pittsburgh, certainly better than their first performance against <laughs> Pittsburgh yeah. this season where they just didn't really care to play hockey. Um, so it, it's all it's all looking up for, for Preds fans, in my opinion. Um, as the resident wet blanket, I'll let you uh, sum up the week in a, in a less optimistic tone, perhaps. Um, got outplayed in Columbus. Come out, came out with a victory. Had Bobrovsky been in net, it probably would have been one nothing uh, Columbus, in my opinion. Uh, especially that matter one goal. I don't know. That was a pretty. That was kind yeah, of, that's pretty soft. Um, Most matter one goals. Yeah. Um, <laughs> great game. Uh, bad, mediocre first period and against Pittsburgh. Great ten minutes in the second period. Terrible last ten minutes in the in the second period, and then. Uh, it, it, the Predators are just it's a very weird thing where they go up and they think alright game's over and then like every other you know like how it is in the NHL the game isn't over and other other right. teams try to come back and you can get away with that against Columbus or against uh, the Sharks or against some other team like that but you can't get away with it against uh, against the Pittsburgh Penguins or against the Lightning or against the Maple Leafs or against you know, the St. Louis Blues or even the Winnipeg Jets. Like, good teams are going to find a way to come back, and especially if you let them come back into a game. Uh, the trick is, once you have your fun on the gas pedal, is to not let up. There's no there's no such thing as winning by too many goals. And Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that, that, that's my big, that's, that's my big wor- words of advice for the Predators is keep the gas pedal uh, on, on the floor at all times, take McLeod out of the lineup, and I think you're going to see good things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Always got to stick that in there. Yeah, yeah. You'll need to know the agenda. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you, everyone, for uh, tuning in this week. Uh, we'll be back probably next Sunday with, uh, we would assume, the full trio back in action. Uh, like I said, Corey was unable to be here tonight, but we expect him to be back next week. Other than that, uh, George, thanks as always. And uh, everyone, enjoy another week of NHL hockey. <laughs>